Hi guys, I'm Giuseppe Santamaria, the photographer behind Men in This Town and editor of Mitt Magazine. Welcome to a brand new season of Portrait Session, in partnership with Emporio Armani. This season, I'm doing things a little bit differently. Instead of shooting men in this town in my studio, I'll be capturing them in their natural habitat, living la dolce vita and finding out what living the sweet life actually means to them in this day and age. In this episode, I'm chatting with theater actor turned director, Sean Rennie. From early high school productions to performing on stages around the world, Sean's love for the theater runs through his veins. Although it was through the love that he had for his brother that Sean discovered directing, when he co-created Like the Night, an annual benefit concert for leukemia research, which he produced and directed for 10 years. Now with director credits that include Australian productions of Rent, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and his upcoming play, Trevor, Sean continues to bring light to the stage with stories that hit the heart. Head over to meninthistown.com to view selects from our portrait session. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the conversation that took place. Let's uh, start off with introducing yourself. So my name is Sean Rennie. I am a 37-year-old theatre director, born and bred in Sydney, Australia. Amazing. <laughs> I, I envy the whole theatre thing, as I mentioned before, and it's kind of something that I... That and dance, theatre and dance, has kind of always been something that I kind of admired. I don't know what... Did you do it at school? Yes, I... when. I directed a play, so I did like I was in plays for mm-hmm. a long time, and then my last year we directed me and like a, another um, like a senior person directed Suburbia, which oh, was yeah. like a, a, an eighties movie or nineties yeah. movie, nineties yeah. movie um, that was really kind of dark and weird and wasn't my choice, but it was a fun kind of thing to actually direct and kind of be able to get all the actors together and yeah. do the sets and whatnot. Um, and then Wizard of Oz, I think that was kind of... <laughs> You're in Wizard of Oz or directed? Directed. Uh, actually, no, Wizard of Oz, I did like set design and stuff like that. Right. Right. Um, but then I played like the king. I was the one that was able to grow the beard when I was in <laughs> high school. So I played like the king in Hamlet and all that stuff. Right. And kind of the typical and roles. Men yes, of because of my beard. <laughs> I guess, how did you get into it? How did you start off in theater? Uh, from a young age, I guess a lot of people uh, start young. I started dancing, I think, when I was probably about seven or eight. Um, and through, so I, my path to directing was as a performer. Mm. So I worked professionally as a musical theatre performer mostly up until my early 30s, mid-30s. Yeah, right. Um, and have over the last five years sort of been transitioning from being a performer into directing, uh, which I'm now pretty much full-time directing. I haven't for like the, the performing sort of drops off as you get busier as a director yeah, yeah. Um, but so yeah I started performing so when I was a kid I, would, I started dancing lessons when I was about seven did song and dances found out I could sing and then I remember being taken to my first musical when I was about 11 I think it was my 11th birthday it was Amazing. the Hot Shuffle which is a tap dance show that ah, tap, did, yeah. Yeah, did the touring <laughs> circuit here in Australia and um, I remember thinking I remember sitting in the audience realizing that these people, these guys up on stage, did it 
eight nights a week and they got paid to do it. And yeah. it was this real sort of like, oh my God, that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna do with my life. I just you know. And so I was very lucky <clears throat> I was very lucky that from a very young age I always knew that that's where I was going to do. Yeah. Um, there was there was no need for a gap year to figure out what I was going to do. <clears throat> Pardon me. It was just always clear. Yeah. And so I from, from that time, from when I was 11, I just headed into working towards that goal and was lucky that out of high school I, I studied musical theatre at NIDA, which is the National Institute of Dramatic Art here yeah, right. in Sydney and, you know, graduated from that and got an agent and then quite quickly out of school got my first professional uh, musical, which was Mamma Mia. No, no way. <laughs> yeah, Who did you play? I was Pepper, the young boy that chased after the older woman yeah, yeah. Um, and did you know, the young sort of cocky lad. Um, so, yeah, that was my first job straight out of high school and I was, I think I was 17. And I toured no with way. that for three years and then and then didn't really stop touring for the good part of 15, 20 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. And going around the world, Australia. Yeah. Australia and a lot of Asia. I did Cats. Um, nice. I played Monkey Strap and Cats for a, a, quite a long time. Um, we would do, like, a tour of Korea and then a tour of Singapore and then a tour of China and... A, and just as you're about to finish, they say, oh, we're going to go back and do an Australian tour. So you stick around for another year and do the Australian tour. And, um, it was great. It was, I really loved my performing life. And um, uh, I was very lucky to, yeah. to, be, you know, to work as often as I did. Um, and then in the same, at the same time that I was in between gigs, you know, every actor has downtime because um, every project ends. Mm. Um, uh, I, would, I would make my money doing... Uh, follow spot or working backstage on the professional right. show so I worked backstage as a lighting technician on Wicked and Hairspray and Billy Elliot and and so all along all through my 20s and into my 30s I had this sort of on stage and backstage sort of career yeah, yeah. building which I sort of knew one day would lead I, subconsciously I think to start off with but coming more and more into the forefront of my mind, I knew that one day I'd move into directing and yeah. um, that it would work, be, you know, it would work in my favour to Unreal. have both of that, both the language of speaking to, the, being able to communicate with the crew as well as communicating with cast members. And Did you know that kind of early on when you kind of started that you would eventually become yeah, so, director? Um, I, I, when I was, in, I was doing Fiddle on the Roof here in Australia and I am a when I was about 24, my younger brother, Matt, uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. Oh. And so I started this um, concert. It was a theatre cat walking around us. It's all good. We've had a dog before, so it's all good. <laughs> you hear me now. Quieter. It's not me, it's the theatre cat. Um, yeah, so my brother was uh, diagnosed with leukemia and I was doing a show at the time and I felt quite, you know, impotent. And so I put on... I, got my friends together from the show and put on a fundraising event mm. um, just to sort of feel useful, um, feeling like I could do something to help my brother. Um, and so we, we did this event, we called it Light the Night, and we raised money for leukemia research. And that event um, was essentially the first time I ever sort of directed anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we it turned into an annual event that ran for 10 years. And over the 10 years, we raised over, you know, we raised a lot of money for leukemia research over the 10 years and it became it grew and grew and grew my brother was present for the first couple and then passed away just before the third oh, event mm -hmm. um, and so that event that third event 
sort of became, you know, it, he was he passed away just like two weeks before it, so it became quite a big moment for my family's history and, mm-hmm. and really sort of solidified Light the Night as a as an annual fundraiser for leukemia. Um, and so through doing Light the Night annually, mm. I started to really get a sense of, I think this is where I'm going to be heading. When I'm ready to stop performing, I think this is... Um, it was essentially like the day of the year, the Light the Night day of mm-hmm. the 10 years was the one day of the year where I felt my most useful it's very it's a very impotent thing to sit next to your sick brother as he's dying and that that people feel a need to do something in order to help and you can't really do much to help your your ailing family member but you've got this energy that you've put into something so Mm -hmm. it was just it was sort of the um, most obvious uh, thing that I could do with my network and with my skill set and with um you know, I could make a few calls and book a venue and and, and get some people together and put on a show. Right. Like putting on shows, I guess, is what I've always known. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so out of that, you know, I, I'm, like the night, I'm very very proud that we ran for ten years, and I think after ten years, we got to a ten year mark, and it started to it wanted to evolve. Hmm. It wanted to my family needed to evolve beyond the event because the event started to feel a little bit like an annual yeah. wake or an annual right. memorial and that started to not be uh, you know necessary for my family or, or necessarily healthy for my family so mm. um, so I and I also started to feel like I needed to move into directing professionally yeah, yeah. Um, and so we'll probably do next year will be five years since we did Light the Night so I think right, okay. we'll start to think about maybe doing a Light the Night Reunion or yeah, you know, yeah. five years type of thing. Sounds fun. Yeah, but it was through that. It was through doing Light the Night that I really discovered, oh, I think I might have... I think this job, directing, whatever that is, mm. um, plays into my particular skill set and my people my, just plays into my strengths. Yeah, yeah. What was your first play that you directed? It was Rent at the Hayes oh Theatre. Oh, my God, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so how it all happened was I... I went and lived in London for a couple of years and worked in London as a actor. And whilst I was over there, I started to assist. And I saw a lot of theatre, obviously, in London and started to get a little bit of a itch to... when I sort of knew that when I came back from to Australia from London that I'd probably want to make the move. Mm. And um, I'm married to an actor um, and he's a brilliant actor. So I sort of... Well, I started to look for a play for me just to direct him in. And the plan was to do... Uh, something in our backyard essentially and just invite, yeah. them, invite some friends over and see if I was any good at it mm. um, and so I found a play for Ben um, Ben Gerard is my partner and uh, I found a play called I'm Own Wife and we had that booked to do a season at a little indie theatre called Old Fitz in Sydney And but whilst I was sort of in pre-production for that I was asked to direct a production of Rent so Rent was actually my first show that I directed and it was the first day of, in the rehearsal room it really was like a, oh, this is what I was meant to be doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> this, is al- this is always what I was meant to be doing. <laughs> Did you have a connection with Rent? That I'm- yeah, I mean, I think a, a big part of my job is when you get uh, a play or when you read a play is to find what your in is. Mm. Like what is it about that particular work that speaks to you? What do you want to say yeah. with it? You know, how, what lens are you going to tell the story? Um, 
and so obviously being queer, um, having been a gay guy who, you know, is enjoying the 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 lifestyle that the very liberal and sort of um, lucky lifestyle that we get to live now. Mm. Um, I sort of empathised with the fact that this rent was, when it was written, was this rage into the night when a, a community of people were dying and, yeah. and no one was doing anything. And I think rent, like a lot of great art, came out of that period of time, Angels in America, and a lot of great plays and films and scripts and books came out of that period of time. Just because, again, I guess it was born out of that sense of impotence. Like, mm-hmm. people are dying and there needs to be something said about it and rent I, really, I guess maybe in a way subconsciously I connected to that yeah in terms of like what I was saying about my brother mm-hmm. um, but yes rent I guess was uh, you know, it was a bit of a water, like a life changing moment for me because it went well we did a return season both of them sold out it was a moment where I was like okay this is what I'm going to be doing now yeah is there something that you kind of look at as a director to kind of try to make something your own or do you kind of like to go as a, like with the classic, the way it was presented? Or no, I, th- I think my job is to be very clear about why mm. we're we're doing any particular show and why that will change year to year depending on what is happening outside the theatre and right. you know politically what's going on and what the conversation is. Theatre to me needs to speak to the moment in time. It's it, it's you know. It can be entertaining, and it's great when it is entertaining. But it it should also challenge, and it should also be a place where people come and commune and think about things that are larger than themselves. I love that idea that as as religion plays a less important mm. role in society, and we become more and more engrossed in our devices, yeah. which sort of individualizes us more and more. You know, we don't even sit around and watch TV together anymore. We all go and watch it on our devices and mm. we choose what we want to watch. We sort of are becoming... These are devices that connect us. Actually, I argue, may be making us feel much more isolated. Okay. So I think I think in the absence of communing for church weekly, I think there's still an, a primal urge, a primal need for us to share a space with each other and sit in a room and and all of us think and muse and and meditate on a particular idea and there is something amazing that happens with an audience of a hundred people or a thousand people or ten thousand people all mm. focus on the same idea and there's an energy in the space that I think as a human race we're constantly drawn to that experience whether yeah. it be going to church or going you know um, to theatre or going to a sports game you know well said yeah I never thought of it that way Definitely is kind of a, a shared experience, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a there's it's it's theatre's becoming one of the few places that we do that anymore. Yeah. You know, and so I think you know theatre essentially is sitting around a campfire sharing stories. Mm. Um, and we've been doing that. It's how we learn as a human race. It's how we grow. It's how yeah. we develop. It's how we um, evolve. You know, it's how we um, protect the next generation from the lessons that we've learned ourselves you know? absolutely so you're working on a new play now called Trevor yes I'm directing a, we're here at um, the new theatre where we're rehearsing um, the play will be on at the King's Cross Theatre 
uh, we move into theatre next week. So, uh, yeah, it's called Trevor. It's by a writer, an American writer called Nick Jones, uh, and it's it's really interesting based on a tr- based. It's a fictional um, uh, reimagining of a of a true story about a woman who raised a chimpanzee uh, until he was eleven years old, yeah. and then the chimpanzee. Um, Attacked um, one day, randomly attacked her neighbor viciously. Right. God, and she had to sort of um, uh, it didn't it didn't end well for the the chimp. Let's say that <laughs> or the or the or the neighbor. Um, was this in like America? Yeah, or, yeah. So it was in two thousand nine. The actual event was in two thousand nine, right. and the actual chimp was called Travis. And um, and yeah, the the event happened in two thousand nine, and this play is an imagination and an imagining of that woman and and the relationship with the chimp. Hi, Alice. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> How are you, Alice? It's all right. Just go back open the door and bring the garbage bins oh, in. It's, it's atmospheric. It's, it's good. Don't worry. <laughs> this is Giuseppe. He's just doing this podcast. Hello. 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 I'll wait till you're finished. Oh, okay. <laughs> the bins, there's not some time. We shouldn't be too long. Thanks, Alice. Last joined in the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yes, so Trevor is about this uh, relationship, about uh, the, a woman who lives alone, raises this chimp um, as her son, essentially. Uh, the play, the concept of the, the conceit of the play, though, is that we also hear the Travis, the monkey, Trevor, the monkey, is played by an adult male. I wonder how that's executed. Okay. Yeah, played by an adult <laughs> male, um, not in a monkey suit, just, you know, on stage, and he... Trevor is an out-of-work actor. Um, so essentially the play at its core is about miscommunication or missed right. opportunities for connection and communication. They sort of, Sandra and Trevor, understand each other. They sign language. They sign to each other. They understand a bit of sign language, but there's a lot of miscommunication that happens as well. Right. And so it's about, um, I guess, you know, the idea that you know, um, cultural miscommunication and opportunities where where we just misunderstand each oh, other yeah. <laughs> and how that can go hilariously, um, how that can be hilarious, but how it can also be tragic as well. That's very current, isn't it? I'm mm. just kind of where we don't know how to talk to each other. And it's like, it's we think that we're complete on one side and the other side. Yeah. And it's like, we're not actually talking to yeah, each we're other. we're not listening to each other. No. And, and that's the, a large theme in the entire play, that these people, you know, she has a neighbour that is has a baby next door and so mm. the neighbour is very nervous rightfully so about her child about while she's living next to a, hundred, a 200 pound ape next door <laughs> um, you know and they just say you're not listening to me well you're not listening to me so it's uh, the whole play is about miscommunication and and uh, as I said it, it starts off pretty absurd and yeah. funny the other thing is the real chimp Travis and the chimp in our play Trevor uh, were when they were chimpanzees little babies were in ads were, right, right. so they were like <laughs> um, you know sort of going back to the 90s and the 80s when chimps were sort of in yeah. ads with Michael Jackson and you know yeah, yeah. Um, so Trevor was a was an actor when he was young and he has this false dream that he's going to get back to Hollywood and that he's so it's also about false dream attainment and yeah. what happens when you realise that the carrot that you've been dangled your entire life is actually a lie and so not only does he, over the course of the play, realise that he's never going to be an actor, yeah. like, uh, but actually he 
has sort of been tricked into believing that one day he'll be like a human. Yeah. Like, um, and he sort of figures out that they've all been lying to him all along. And so it also, the play also looks at, you know, this thing that we do to these wild animals when we bring mm. them into our homes for our own entertainment, our own enjoyment. Uh, you know, it looks at the humanity or the lack of humanity in, in that, that we, you know, these animals are wild animals mm. and we, we force them to quash their natural instincts in order for our for us to feel safe around yeah. them. I, would you even say that with domestic animals as well? Potentially. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's been, we've had chat, those chats about whether or not, you know, with dogs and cats, you know, there is an argument that, you know, dogs have been domesticated and evolved mm. to actually need us as yeah. much as we need them. And that's how human race became as successful right. because we had dogs to help us hunt and yeah, yeah. and there was like a mutually exclusive like a mutually beneficial relationship but um yeah it's, it's a really interesting really fun play um we're towards the end of the rehearsal process now so uh it's been really fun to play with like how much of a chimpanzee how much chimpanzee acting is there you know <laughs> Love uh, that. it's really fun it's really and fun. what's the, the process for actually getting something like that to the stage like how long does it take um from from the first day of rehearsals, it's probably about a four week process from like first day of rehearsal through to tech um, bumping in, putting a set into the yeah. tech rehearsals. Four or five weeks generally. From the time right now, I'm I'm planning and reading and thinking about plays for 2020 and 2021. Yeah, right. And so, you know, it's about it's a, in terms of my job, in terms of like creating theatre. Mm. I've got to find the stories that I'm connected to that I want to tell that I feel like I could say something with that I can imagine doing something with then I've got to convince a theatre or a producer that, to why they should put it on yeah, yeah. is then, that hard in Australia kind of try to get yeah, that there's, or? there's limited opportunities mm. definitely there's limited there's um, you know and there's limited opportunities a lot of people a lot of people who yeah there's a lot of people who are working their, their rings off for not much money. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, so, uh, yeah, it is tricky and the opportunities are limited because our audiences are limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes people, like Trevor actually came to me, like some, I was asked to direct Trevor. So it works both ways. Yeah. I've sort of say being a director is like having 20 pies in the oven, mm. where 20 pies ready to go into the oven <laughs> at any given point. And, yeah, yeah. And at some point, you know, a pie will move close to the oven and, and another <laughs> pie will go into the oven. You know. Good way of looking at it. Yeah. Do you think you'd ever want to kind of write your own play or kind of produce something of your own? Um, yeah, I have sort of thought about... I, I don't know if writing is necessarily my strength. My, my husband, Ben, is a great writer, so we've spoken about creating something together. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it's... And, and those type of projects take, I think, need long gestation periods to make yeah. sure we get it right. I've worked on a couple of original pieces before with other um, writers, so works that didn't exist and then we all get together and we create something. And that's, it's a, it's a really, really rewarding um, experience because, because there's no sort of template of how things are meant to go. So, yeah, right. But having that many options sometimes is a little um, <laughs> daunting as well. <laughs> Do you think that would be easier to do in another city as opposed to Sydney or even country? Uh, I think making theatre in other countries compared to Australia mm. might be a little easier. Yeah. I'm sure that people in London and, the, and New York would say that 
I'm, I'm sure it's tough everywhere. I yeah, sure. Are, yeah. I don't think the arts are valued enough anywhere, really, no. uh, in this particular Western culture. But um, but certainly in Australia, I mm. think Australia are very outdoorsy, sport-driven yeah. um, country. Um, compared to when I lived in London, the, the biggest amazing thing about living in London was just how much theatre there was and yeah. how many people went to theatre. Because I think also in London, people... Even like every, I think in London every person goes to the a panto at Christmas time. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Part of their culture. Yeah, that's it's, what it it's is. Part of their DNA. It's not really part of our DNA here in Australia. No. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a bit more niche here. I guess it's almost that. I mean, I look at it as even Australia and Sydney in general is kind of it's a young place and it's it's exciting to be a part of the growth of it because it is going to be growing more and more over the years and yeah. it's. I mean, you could easily go to New York and throw yourself into that, but it's like it's been done a thousand times in that city already. Yeah. You know, if you could actually try to make your mark in Sydney, yeah, I think that's exciting, right. you know? Yeah, you're right. And actually, I remember having a conversation with a, an established theatre director in London who I was sort of saying, oh, it's so tough in Australia because there's no industry. And mm. she was saying, well, it's tough here because everything's been done before. Right. And she was sort of um, envious of the growth potential mm. that we have here in Let's go into what you you live in Sydney. Yeah, you you grew up in Sydney. Yeah, what do you love about the city? I love how sparkly it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I have travelled a lot with work. I've been really lucky. I've lived in New York. I lived in London. I've travelled a lot through Asia through work as when I was performing. Mm. Um, and the more I travel and the older I become, the more I realise how just really how beautiful it is here. Yeah. Um, and there is something about even on your poorest and you know saddest lowest days, you can still venture out into Sydney, and something about Sydney will lift you up. You know, mm-hmm. just um, aesthetically even. Um, uh, there's that. So there's that element, and there's also I like the energy in Sydney. I think the um, you know I think Sydney encourages me to work hard, and I think I like the pace of Sydney. Yeah. Um, there is a relaxedness to it. I mean, that's just built into it, isn't it? Yeah. I th- and I, th- I think that because of the beach culture and also um, just being Australian, I guess, mm. we, we do have a slightly more relaxed, but Sydney also is a very ambitious place. People are uh, ambitious here and people mm. have drive and, you know, I like the... Um, I like that combination, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're just looking at your style. That's it's your personal style is very relaxed as well, and kind of represents that. What is your style all about? Um, yeah, I guess practical. The older and older I get, yeah. um, you know, I, I, right now I'm in rehearsals, so it is very sort of like block colors, jeans, and you know, sneakers, and you know, a jumper, like a sort of plain jumper because it's cold, but yeah. and a nice leather jacket. But um, yeah, it's it's generally fairly. As I've gotten older, it's it's become much more pared back. I used to yeah. be a little bit flashier. I yeah. guess that's that's probably uh, true of most people. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you did you experiment with fashion when you were younger? Yeah. Was that something? Yeah, that, and yeah. I don't know if it was a successful. Experience. No, but I think that's good to experiment and have those crazy things. You know, yeah. kind of. Um, I also think as I when I started directing as well, I I became aware that you know being the person who's sort of holding a room and, and uh, you know, needing to sort of be the, the 
driver of the boat or the you know the person saying this is where we're going. There mm. doesn't need to be a sense of um, command. One needs to have in a room. And no, so, right. And so that uh, for me it meant also sort of being um, well dressed, but not um, outrageously dressed. No, right. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> so, what is I guess your typical day in Sydney like? What do you like to do, kind of, on your average day? I'll always wake up and have a coffee from my local cafe, wherever that is. No matter where I'm living, I'll always find the, the closest cafe that's on the corner. And I'll where are you based now? I'm in Abbotsford now, Bethnair oh. in Abbotsford, which is lovely. It's on the water, yeah. like down here, five dock. Um, yeah, so uh, generally wake up, have coffee, and then I'll head into my office. I have an office in Piedmont, a cool. desk, I should say, yeah. um, in, a, in a co-working space. Uh, and so that's when I'm not in rehearsals. And I'll, you know, spend the day there working on whatever projects are coming or um, pitching things for down the track. Um, and then when I'm in rehearsals, I'm generally in rehearsals from 10 till 6, like mm-hmm. now, uh, which I love. And when I'm in rehearsals, it's my favourite. The days go uber quick. Yeah. And, um, you know, you know I don't know whether or not you believe it or not, but I do feel like I'm in flow, you know, when I'm yeah. in rehearsals where the day just sort of disappears and I, I don't really get hungry or need to go to the bathroom and I just sort of like yeah, yeah, I hear it, yeah. stay on the, in the zone you know um, and then evenings I'm, I'm probably at the theatre twice or three times a week probably seeing things um, or I try to be uh, just to I think most of my I think being able to be a theatre maker you need to be aware of what else is being made and who else mm. is making it um, so that you can think of collaborators it's a very collaborative art form so Absolutely. you need to know who you want to work with um, and then other nights it's I don't mind just acting more and more as I get older <laughs> like staying at home on the couch with yeah, yeah. <laughs> pizza and Netflix <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a lot of people's favorite thing <laughs> I hear you yeah. um, is, it sounds like such a, like a, a varied kind of varied activities and it's always kind of changing do you love that that's become your life of kind of, you know, there is always that change. Is that like a luxury to have for yourself? Yeah. Um, being in the arts, being in the theatre is a very project-based mm. life. And um, every show that you're in will, you know, have its, um, have its birth period, its, its, its teenage years, and then its death fairly quickly. Mm. So each, um, each play always comes to an end. So every project comes to an end. So that's been my entire life. I've yeah. never known anything different that sometimes is really terrifying and and scary and you know financially difficult Mm. um and so trying to find by navigate everyone's um everyone in the theater has to find their own way of navigating through that absolutely ebb and flow um i personally don't think i could ever sit in a nine to five <laughs> years on end I just ever had those thoughts of like oh, I can't do this anymore I'm just gonna go of course and I think yeah. I think everyone does I think you you'd be lying if you said no mm. but those thoughts pass um, oh yeah and and there's always uh, you know a project that draws you and then you get sucked in and then mm-hmm. you 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 uh, living your best best life you know you feel yes this is what I'm meant to be doing so the the challenge as I've gotten older and part, part of why I now have an office is is making sure that what I do feels not just like a hobby mm-hmm. um, that I that it is my career and so that even on the days where I'm not in the rehearsal room 
I still go to my office and I, I strategize and I pitch and I, I dream and I think yeah. and sort of planning that into my actual professional life as, um, because for many years that was sitting around in my bedroom mm. doing that. Um, and, you know, it's too easy for Facebook and Netflix to sort of get in the way. So, you know, by having a space that is separate to my life, mm-hmm. I can, I, it may, helps make me uh, be and behave more productively, you know. You just answered something for myself. Because <laughs> I'm in that, that period right now. I had a studio space last year. Uh, up until this beginning of this year and loved it. It was a little small, but eventually moved out of it because it was too small and been working from home for the last couple of months. And I'm like, what should I do? Should I continue this or actually go find a yeah. space again? And I think it's, I am more productive when I am. So I certainly found it to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people, um, you know, because I would find myself going out and working at cafes or, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that old chestnut or like going to the library. But, I certainly have found, you know, and it's an expense that you sort of have to, you know, work towards making sure it's paid every week. Every yeah, month. yeah. Um, and so I teach, and I but finding that balance of how to live a a successful life mm. in the arts, uh, you know, when you're so project based and freelance is is a big challenge. There are certainly days where I think, God, it would be nice just to be on a wage. Yeah. <laughs> but then, um, but then I think I. I know that I'd be two months into that job and need a change of scenery. And that's the best part about what I do, that right now I'm in a, in a whole world, I've created a whole world with, a, with there's six, seven people in the cast and a, and a lighting designer and a, a sound designer and a stage mm. manager. It's like a whole family, a whole tribe of people come together to tell this story. And we didn't know each other on day one part yeah, and then yeah. throughout the course of this process I it's my job to guide this group of people to make sure that everyone is all telling the same story as cohesively as possible and through that process you get to know people very intimately very quickly and I love that part about our job um, you really do sort of cut through a lot of social norms mm. to sort of get to the core of what makes people tick and um, I love that about my job. And you know, then the job ends, and um, people go on their way. And some people stay in your life. You know, all of my closest friends I've met on jobs essentially yeah. over the years, as a former or or as a director. But um, you know, that that sort of that cycle of of creating families, I, I love. And um, yeah, I think if the, if I was just in an office. For, you know, <laughs> the day in, day out, I don't think that would. Uh, Water and oil does not work for you now. No. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I guess one of the final questions, what is, um, what's it like to be you right now? What's in your head um, at this moment? I am happy. I'm very happy. I got married earlier this year to my Congratulations. husband. Thank you. Which is, which I have to say was, um, surprisingly overwhelming yeah um you know i really am very grateful for uh to be in a time and age where we where we can do that Um, did you ever think that was going to be possible no not certainly not growing up and to be honest even so i've been with ben nine years almost and you know we were actually we have a personal story but we were actually engaged pre-marriage equality um and then we actually had a little bit of and we were waiting for marriage equality to happen 
and then for about four years and then we actually had a bit of a break and then um, we got back together mm. and we got engaged again post-marriage equality yeah. so it was very interesting to be engaged to the same person before it being legal and after yeah, it being legal right. and it felt like, like seismically different and um, and I can't really explain why but other than uh, just the just the fact that for example we when we got married we got married on Boxing Day so we had to get our our intent to get married stamped and signed mm. by Justice of the Peace a month before. Yeah. We had to go up to the local Justice of the Peace, which was our local police station. And on, um, so we went in, we had the forms signed, and uh, we said, you know, hey mate, we want to get married. And this big, burly police <laughs> officer that I would have been sort of, you know, nervous around, yeah. sort of like just stamped it and was like, have a great day, guys. And even that in itself was really really moving because we're like god even if that guy has an issue with it it's now it's the law now so it does change everyone's perception yeah absolutely it just and so then on the actual day it was really it was you know during the whole plebiscite i was quite like fighting for the yes campaign because it was the right thing and Mm. because we're equal but not necessarily for i didn't really quite appreciate the value of of the institution you know right um and uh and I have to say, I'm really glad we, we have done that. So, yes, yeah, so life is good. Um, married life is great. What was the wedding like? Very small. It was, yeah. this was on Boxing Day. It was just our families. Because we, we both are in you know, showbiz, and I put on shows for a living. Uh, we were both... Uh, <laughs> you don't want to put on a show. We were like, let's just actually do this really small. <laughs> yeah. um, we'd been engaged for so long, yeah. waiting the first time. So when we got engaged the second time, we were like, let's just do it. We've been together nine years. Let's just do it. And let's do it for our families, literally for our parents to say... Thank you for voting yes, and and in a way, for me at least, I can't I shouldn't speak for Ben, but for me at least, doing it so small and just standing in front of it was just down on the harbour, just down near my oh, parents, nice. just down in Abbotsford, and um, it was something very special about just standing in a park mm. on Sydney Harbour on Boxing Day and uh, saying a couple of you know making a couple of promises to each other in front of our parents and having them witness that promise it was right. sort of like by whittling it down to just that sort of reminded us of what it was actually all about yeah and then we can do a big fuck off party whenever we want and yeah we can do the big show you know, <laughs> when we've got time and, yeah. and a bit more money essentially <laughs> but yeah so no being um sean is good at the moment i'm this year 2019 has been uh, a year where my career seems to where i feel like i've um crossed over into another level as a director in terms of professional work and being sort yeah. of being consistently busy which is great um and i guess it's sort of i'm curious and strategizing about what's next you know so what do you think is next certainly more directing yeah um uh strategizing towards like five-year plans and um trying to again it's always about trying to figure out how to make this particular industry work for you mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and not burn out you know because yeah. there's a lot of burnout I think because um, there's a lot of a lot of long hours and little pay sometimes so mm. um, it's just about being smart about what, which projects you take on yeah mm. and final question uh, it's called Dolce Vita the season of the the podcast of the sweet life what is your favorite sweet that you like to have at the mm. end of the day <laughs> I'm a chocolate person yeah I'm a big chocolate person so um, 
oh god, my favorite. Oh, like I love or, or caramel person. Yeah, so like yeah. Banoffee pie. Oh yeah. Pie. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. That's uh, one that will put you in a coma for sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yes, I'm really a sweet person. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Cool. All right, Sean. Thank you so much. I appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you very much. Lovely to meet you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Portrait Session in partnership with Emporio Armani. If you enjoyed this story and would like to read more stories about men in this town, check out issue 11 of MIT Magazine, available now at meninthistown.com. Have a great day and thanks again for your support.